if you guys stay on your feet, if you're a veteran, come up front here. All you guys that have been, I don't you just face the crowd. I'm going to get out here where I can face you all. That's good looking guys, ain't it? <laughs> Amen. Maybe it's a new season for me where you don't take anything for granted. Uh, but I've, I've always felt, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking, not necessarily, pride, I guess, for, I've had people in my family, my father's in World War II, and I, I appreciate you guys. And if anybody deserves to be saluted, you all do. And so, and we got a couple up there on the platform that serve too, so. Uh, they just got guitars and stuff. <laughs> so let's, uh, I would like for all of us to salute these guys and women because they deserve it. You know, I, I, when I got home from my vacation, <laughs> I was trying to process some things about my situation, and then I saw a couple of veteran commercials. With the guys with no legs, no arms. So I could have surgery in this country, in a free country, and get my life repaired for guys who lost their legs, their arms, their eyesight. Some of them come home and their families couldn't take it and walked out on them. So we. We owe you all debt, and we salute you this morning, every single one of you. Father, we thank you for these men and women that have paid the price, that were willing to pay the price, and paid the price in so many ways, and then, of course, some paid the price with their own lives. Some young men left here not long after they got their driver's license and never came home. We thank you, Lord, for people in our midst that are so self-sacrificing that they were willing, no matter what the cost might bring, to go to other places and stand on watch and be a part of combat or whatever their job was to, for this country. And it was really for all of us. We have all the freedoms. No nation, Lord has come close to being as blessed as Israel, except for the one we live in. We are the nation that has been blessed so much. We are the only one that comes close to being as blessed as Israel. We don't want to take that for granted. And we know you've put it in men and women's hearts, Lord, to be willing to sacrifice. And we thank you for that. And we honor these men and women today. And we salute them one more time. God bless you guys. Thank you. Let's give them. Let me read to you from uh, Psalm 47 as we get ready to go into our praise and worship time. If you get a chance, take one of these guys out to breakfast. It says, oh, clap your hands, all you peoples, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us. He has. His name's Jesus. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. How many knows he wants us to sing praises? You going to do that with us this morning? For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses. 
but we trust in the name of the Lord. Welcome this morning. All of you to the Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Worthy. We, have, we should come into agreement with what we sing. That's what we're proclaiming, right? And we sang about, and I didn't know we could sing about the blood so much when I shared that scripture, but God's talking to us this morning, right? His blood is the only thing in the pharmacy of God. It is the remedy for everything. The blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. So whatever you need this morning, He's faithful. His promises are yes and amen in Christ. In Christ. You don't claim those on your own with your own stewardship or righteousness. In Christ, all things are made available to us. Amen. Let's give the Lord some more praise. He's worthy. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. We also have a nursery next door across the way. The rest of you may be seated and sticking around with me. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7 first. We'll run some places this morning. Uh, I want to say something here about Jesus. Jesus told us lots of, of uh, tough stuff. Have you ever read what Jesus says? A lot of it's tough. He prepares us for what's coming. Things that would be coming to the world and its people. Well, he shares a lot of that with us. He challenges us. He uh, keeps in what's important in front of us and, and cautions us. He uses a lot of caution. He talks very cautionary when he talks to us. Uh, why would he tell us a lot of this tough, bad stuff? Because he saw a world that was going to reject his father. And he knew how that was going to turn out, right? He knew that. Of course, he's, he sees the end from the beginning. He's part of the Godhead. And nowhere was that more clearly identified with when they rejected Jesus, right? He knew that when they rejected him and how the world was going to continue to reject God. So we're probably the last semblance of a Christian nation left. And we're, we're losing ground fast. Uh, because we are losing less respect for the innocent blood more and more constantly in this nation, even here in Kentucky. So we live in a world that's constantly rejecting God and His, and His Word. And Jesus knew that that was going to get worse and worse as man uh, did his own thing and the further we were removed from the garden. So here we are. We're sitting on a... a, a a situation here in our world where God is constantly being rejected and especially His Word. So Jesus knew that and He knew that the world would reject God and embrace Satan. And that's exactly what they've done. You may say, there may be people who listen or out in the world say, well, I'm not a Satan worshiper, but there's only two sides. So if you reject God, you're following with Satan. And if you remember, last week or a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this Greek word, pistis, right? And it is the word that we translate faith and pisteo, faith. And if you put the alpha in front of it, apistos, it means it's going in reverse. There's only two ways. Faith doesn't have any middle ground. You either believe or you don't in the Greek language. And so that's where the world's at. Most of the world does not believe. We are in the minority. And I'm going to be as clear as I can. We're in the minority in America now. True believers that are followers of Christ and that do His will and that seek to do His will, we are definitely in the minority. So Jesus knew we would be living in a world that was primarily rejecting Christ, rejecting Him, rejecting His Father. And so Jesus was very cautionary to us when He talked to us. So I'm going to give you a few examples of that before I take you to my text this morning. Let's go to Matthew 7. Look at verse 1. Listen to how Jesus talks to us. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brothers, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. I mean, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not telling us not to be real and not to help one another and to, not to 
judge things based on His Word. That's how we live our lives. But He's telling us, make sure you get yourself cleared out. But the whole idea behind that was redemptive, wasn't it? So you can see clearly to help your brother. And so He's very clear with that instruction. So we know we're going to have things to deal with. Let's go look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Because with, we, we think that uh, a lot of times as Christians, we have to be a catch-all for anything. And we can't say something. We can't stand up because it might offend somebody. Well, if it's God's Word and His truth, so be it. Right. Right? If, it's your, if it's your personality, then maybe you need to change a little bit. Or me, whatever. But if it's God's Word we're standing with, which is Jesus, they're one and the same, so be it. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. He says, Do not give that which is holy to dogs, nor cast pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? And a pretty strong admonition from Jesus. Stay in this same chapter and go over to verses 13 and 14. Listen to what he says here. He says, Enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who... Now, what I've noticed is about half-hearted Christians, they like to water things down uh, and they hand it off to others, but it's really something designed to make them feel better. Yeah, I'm just going to say it. A lot of Christians are that way, so-called maybe. A lot of people who go to church, they want to water it down and hand it off to others so that they uh, they can feel better about where they're at. He says, Enter in the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Many. He said, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which lead to life, and there are few who find it. So basically, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Jesus is basically saying there that many are going to hell and few are going to destruction. And, uh, or few are going to heaven, I should say. The Greek word, most of you have seen me use this before. Stenos is the Greek word for narrow. It's a narrowing path. It narrows as we walk it. Why? Because we can live what John said. He said, he must increase, we must decrease. So your journey in this path, the reason that path narrows is to strip us of ourselves and more of Christ can come through us and less of us. The world don't need to see another one of you and I. The world needs to see Jesus. Can you say amen? So Jesus is pretty plain about this here, right? He says, narrows the way. And he says, it's a difficult way. Why? Why would he say it's difficult? Now, the difference is we have the Holy Spirit to help us, so we have supernatural power and strength to go on and make it. But the reason it's difficult, because you're in a minority. Now, we've not seen that cut loose as much in this country as like our brother Stephen has in Nigeria and other places. Yakapu, those who live in countries where Christianity, they're killed for believing. We've not come to that point in our country, but we've swung a long way away from making God, from God being the center of everything we do in this country. And so we're, getting, we're in the minority now, true believers and Christians. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now that's, not, that's really not the overriding Christian message in the world today. If you, if, they wouldn't like that. They wouldn't like that. They wouldn't like this to be brought up in certain so-called Christian circles because they want everybody to feel good. And so when you leave with certain ideas that, hey, it doesn't really matter what you do or how you live, you're okay. And Jesus is very plain here by saying there are few that are going to heaven and many are going to destruction or hell. I mean, this is Jesus talking. He sees the end from the beginning. Let me give you another one. Let's go over to Luke chapter 21. I'm talking about Jesus as a plain talker and very cautionary. He speaks very... Most of His words are caution. They're filled with caution for us. If you read the red, most of them are filled with caution. And, and I'm going to point out a couple of things about, uh, about, about this as we go into our main text here in just a moment. In Luke 21, verse 34, I use this passage a lot because this is the only place that we find Jesus alluding to the rapture is in Luke 21. And after he does that, in verse 34, he says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. Now, he's talking to people who are hearing the message about the end of time. He gives them a, a spiel here in Luke 21. It's the same Luke wrote down things that he heard more clearly than Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 are basically the same message. 
But these writers write a little different. They, they bring out a little different message. And here in Luke 21 is my favorite passage because this, uh, of those three because of the way Jesus is bringing out things here. But he says, talking to his audience, many of which were his disciples, he gives them another word of caution, don't he? After he tells them about the end of time here again, and he talks to them about how this is going to play out, he says, take heed in, uh, to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life that that day would come upon you unexpectedly and if you look at those three categories carousing is basically running with the world you know people do and like I said last Sunday they get upset when it looks like the world's doing better than they are and they're trying to follow Jesus and having all these battles so there's a temptation for people to say what's the use go back to the world the next one is drunkenness and that could be any substance that caused you in that city. And our world's filled with addiction. We don't have to even talk about that because we all know it and see it in our own families. And then the next one is, and here's a big one, especially for those who kind of stay away from the world's carousing and the addiction side of that. The next one is cares of this life. Anybody remember that old song? The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we're going to get together then. And the boy grows up because his dad never prioritizes spending time with his son. There's a whole message in that. He never spends time with his offspring. And then his dad gets older and his son turns out just like him, right? His son comes home from college, just wants the car keys, no, no relationship. He wants his son to come home, bring the grandchildren, can't, too busy. That's cares of this life. And that's something we all have to guard against. That you can get caught up, I can get caught up in cares of this life and not spend the proper amount of time with the Lord and stay focused on what? Now here's what God's looking for. God's looking for some people that care more about His stuff than they do their own. And it's not just preachers that He's looking for with that. It's all of us. God's looking for people who care more about His stuff than they do their own stuff. Now, when that gets out of whack, that's when we get caught up in cares of this life. When we start caring more about our stuff than we do God's stuff, that's when that gets out of whack. So that's pretty plain talk, would you say? He says, uh, don't get caught up in these things because he gives us, he says, that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. In other words, pray that you get to go before the beam of seat Paul talks about. You go up in the rapture when the world's getting plunged in what Paul and Daniel and all of them called the great tribulation and, and the abomination of desolation that goes on during that. Jesus is saying, pray that you be counted worthy to escape those things, right? And stand before the Son of Man. You'll be judged for your works, but not for your salvation. And he's, that's what he's referring to. The Bible ties itself together. So he's given us some more cautionary words, right? Now, don't, don't get caught up in your own day. Listen, the, the day of the Lord could come, right? Look at uh, chapter 20. I'm going to give you some more cautionary words. Verse 34, it's chapter 20. Just one chapter back. Same verse as we, uh, 34 and 21. Now we're going to go to 34 and 20. Jesus answered said to them, The sons of this age marrying are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy... It's an interesting statement, isn't it? To attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, he says, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore. For they are, equal, they are equal to the angels and the sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. That's an interesting thought, right? But he's being very cautionary here. Those people who are worthy, those people who made themselves ready. He talks about in the New Testament, or over on in Revelation, that the bride has made herself ready. She took it serious. If you study a Jewish bride, she worked for six months to a year to get ready for her wedding day. And it wasn't just the planning. It was applying makeup and all that stuff. She, because when she came out on her wedding day, she had worked so hard on makeup that she wanted to be without a spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That's what Paul talks about the bride of Christ, right, over in Thessalonians, that we would be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish because of the cosmetics of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to work on you. 
And you don't get to use the excuses that you've used your whole life. If you're going to mature as a Christian, you must lay them down. We've all had stuff to overcome. It's time for you to overcome. Amen. And you have the Holy Spirit who's the greatest force in the universe. Don't tell me you can't change. You're saying, I refuse to submit to the Holy Spirit. That's what you're saying. You're not, you can change if you submit to the Holy Spirit. He can do anything in our lives. And so Jesus deserves a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So you and I need to let the Holy Spirit do what He intends to do in our lives. Do you think God wants His Son to have a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish? He most certainly does. Do you think Jesus Christ, if anybody deserved a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, it's Him. And we should. And how do we get there? You don't get there by trying harder. You don't get there by getting smarter. You get there by surrendering to the Holy Spirit. That's how we get there. That's how He starts covering the spots and the wrinkles and the blemishes in our lives. And that's what God wants to do in us. So He's bringing us to a place of a bride without a spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Let me say this before I go into my main text. If you're going to be a defender of the truth of God, slash God's Word, it will cost you something in the culture we live in. It's going to cost you. If you're going to stand up for God's Word, and I'll give you a few examples. John the Baptist... He said, Herod, you can't have that woman. They took his head off. What about John the Revelator? Having the name John, that's kind of tough. These guys get in trouble. He got banned to the Isle of Patmos, right? What about Daniel? Well, let me say this. God uses people in the world. He plants people in there as a witness. But none of these guys kept the system from collapsing. This system's collapsing. As I said to you Wednesday night, one of God's gifts to the people who are blind spiritually is for the system to collapse so that they'll quit trusting in the system. So the system, Daniel didn't keep uh, Babylon from going under, but God used him for a season as a witness in there. God may use you that way. He may put you in a certain situation, whether it's uh, a business, politics, but this system's coming down. This, the, the political system in this country, it's going to come down because there are too many people that trust in it. God is going to allow the system to collapse. And the reason He allows the system to collapse is so people can see that He's the only thing. You and I get it, right? We're believers. But most of the world is not. And just like with Egypt, why did God do all that in Egypt? He, he, he could have brought His people out the first day. He could have done all that. He could have done. But God, the, if you'll read your Bible, it says many of the Egyptians believed. God was showing Himself in Egypt so those who didn't believe in Him would have the opportunity to see that He's the only true and living God. So when they threw down their rods and became serpents, Moses' rod eat all those rods. Right? When they saw what the magicians could do, and finally the magicians got to the place and said, We can't compete no more. This is over our head. Right? So we know the devil has power, but he don't have any power over God. Can you say amen? Amen. And so God's gift to this world is to allow the systems to collapse. Because there are too many people who put their trust and confidence in systems of men. And we know that all the systems are going to collapse someday, but we've watched some of them fall already. And that's God's gift so that people can see. So defending the truth is going to cost you something. Peter, Paul, John Huss was burned at the stake. And we know what happened to Jesus. If you're going to stand for the truth, and it's time for us to do that, and let's go to our main text in Jude. Let's go to chapter 1 of Jude. Jude chapter 1. Listen to what he says here. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. These guys, they write cautionary. They're constantly writing us in a cautionary way, like Jesus talked. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. To contend earnestly for the faith. Now, that's a, that's a word. We are supposed to contend earnestly for the faith. Our job is not inside this building. 
Our job is when we go out there and mix and mingle wherever, we, wherever our paths lead. And this word contend is a powerful word, and I'm going to give it to you. Lest you think you can sit at home and do nothing for God. We're called to contend for the faith. Number one, it means that we contend is a good word that we use there in the New King James. By distinguishing. You should distinguish between God's truth and what the lies are. Right? I'm not talking about... This is a horrible thing that's happened in our country. And I'm sure it's going on all over the world. But how many times do you hear people say on television or maybe even out, out in public where in circles you're in, I'm living out my truth. You don't have your own truth. There is no truth apart from Jesus Christ. And they use that as a guise to say basically what we said in the 60s, we're going to do whatever we want to do. And they call it my truth, right? I'm going to live out my truth. You don't have... Paul, or Peter said there is no private interpretation of God's Word or His truth. Right? You don't get your own interpretation of life and truth. And so, but that's becoming a common thing in our language. The next thing it means to contend for the faith means to distinguish between the truth, to judge, and to separate. Right? So you separate the truth, which is God. I'm not talking about facts. Everybody's got some facts. Some facts are good and some are bad. I'm talking about the truth. We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. The next thing is that it means to show partiality. You doggone right. Did I just say that? You doggone right I'm showing partiality to God's Word. That, that's the height of life. If that's not the height of life, then I'm ready to quit doing what I'm doing. This is the plumb line for everything in life. I don't care where people are at. The Bible says in Titus that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, I don't know how God does it. I don't know if he talks through donkeys. He does talk through donkeys. He's done that before. Whatever he does to get to... So everybody in the world, red, yellow, black, and white, don't matter. We're all going to be judged by that book right there. We're all going to be judged by God's Word because the grace of God that brings salvation, Titus said, has appeared to all men. So we don't know how God does all that. We see how He finishes the task in Revelation chapter 14. The Bible says an angel comes from heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach to every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation on the earth. So everybody's not heard it by that point. They're going to hear it from an angel. And then you've got the two witnesses that we read about in Revelation. There's going to be all kinds of 144,000 witnesses, or the men, Jewish men that are raised up, 12,000 out of each tribe. God's going to start evangelizing all in that Middle East. But God's being faithful with that right now. Nobody is without it, with, with an excuse. God makes it clear that He will bring salvation. How He does it? We don't know. We know some of the stories. Some people, it's cost them their lives to take the gospel to other people. But God is going to be faithful to bring the gospel. And he says, I want you to contend for the faith. And it means to render a decision <coughs> based on truth. So you make a decision about God's perspective based on the truth of His Word. And you stand there. And, and there are people that it costs them their lives to do that. There are people that it's costing them their lives even today. We've not got that far just yet here in this country. But we've had people do things openly for things that God hates. And they walk free. And we had a guy last year writing with chalk that washes off in front of an abortion clinic. And he went to jail. Now that's a bad start. We're going the wrong direction with that. And, and so we got to understand that Christianity is going to be viewed as the problem as we go forward. We're going to be viewed as the problem because we're not willing to go along with everything. And that's, that's part of what we do. We contend for God's truth. He says that we contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to saints. Uh, and then he said, and we're going to get an example of this down here. This word uh, diakrino is the Greek word for contend. And we're going to get an example of that in this same passage. He says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago are mar were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, which is sensuality, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This word in the Greek that they crept in means they come in sideways. Somebody who comes and slithers down the wall and don't want to be seen. They want to infiltrate, right? And now we've got a lot of that that's infiltrated. we got half the church that don't even know what salvation is in this world. 
preaching other things, preaching other methods, preaching whatever. And so we've had a lot of people creep inside the church that have veered from the truth. They don't still... Listen, I, I was amazed this morning. I got up and listened to two preachers just a little bit early because I wake up so early now. Neither one of them used Scripture. Just won't talk. <laughs> just want to talk. When did men get better about saying what Jesus said? Amen. Did you figure out a better way to say it than Jesus did? He was perfect. I doubt it. That's not for you all. That's for you preachers. Up <laughs> Start preaching the Word of God. <laughs> you are good. I'm talking to the preacher. <laughs> but I... <laughs> They come in sideways. That's how they do. You know, they slither in. They don't want to be seen. And they infiltrate, right? And then I, I tell you, I about got sick, want to go throw up, watch a couple of commercials during this political season Amen. with preachers Amen. promoting things like abortion and stuff. I said, man, God help us. But I want you to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. That's cautionary, right? Stick it out, right? You're not disqualified unless you give up, right? I don't care how many times you fall. The Bible says you can get up seven times, right? We've got to forgive our brother 490 times a day. You know, the Lord's not asking us to do nothing He's not willing to do. So it's not the failing that causes it, it's the quitting. You get forgiveness 490 times a day at least. And I doubt any of us have sinned 490 times in one day. Don't raise your hand. If you raise your hand, we're going to come back and cast a demon out of you because that's bad. He said, but he left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chain. Let me back up. He says, afterward, destroyed those and the angels who did not keep their proper domain. So, you know, a third of the angels backed out on God, right? And went with Satan. But left their own abode. He has reserved everlasting chains under darkness for judgment and great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that are around them in similar manner having given themselves over to sexual immorality. We have got to be close to Sodom and Gomorrah in this country. we got to be close. We use abortion for birth control. We're the leader in pumping out pornography in the whole world this country is. It's a, if you ever listen to James Dobson, it'd turn your stomach. If you listen to uh, David Wilkerson, who's going on to be of the Lord, who was in uh, uh, the church in New York, and God sent him up there and did a wonderful work. The church still going, but he prophesied all that. If you go back to the 60s, he prophesied all of that, that, that pornography and things would be available in the home. You wouldn't have to go down a dark alley into some crazy place and risk your life to do, get involved in that kind of illicit stuff. He said it'll be in the homes before it's over with. He prophesied that in the 60s. Listen, I love this country, but we're going the wrong way with so many of the things we're doing. we got to be turning God off. And he's, I don't want Him to feel like He did with the church in Revelation where He said, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Making God sick. The church of Laodicea. He said, around a similar manner, these things have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Now, I don't fully understand this, but when those dudes come to Lot's door, Lot, and that was one of the references the Holy Spirit gave us in that big prophecy we got a couple years ago. He said, America will begin to grope like the men at Lot's door. You remember that? Because they were struck blind. But when they were outside the door, before those angels struck them blind, they wanted those angels to lie with. Lot, I don't fully understand this. I try to understand a little bit. You become responsible. Back in their day, if you took somebody in, you became responsible for them. So you were basically supposed to put yourself out and take the hit instead of them because you took responsibility. If you go back into, that's what happened with the Benjamites and all that when they cut that woman up in pieces and sent her out to all the tribes and said, look what's been done in Israel. This horrible. The Benjamites were some of the more lewd crowd out of the children of Israel. They got caught up into some lewdness like he talks about here. But Lot offered his two daughters. He, and I, man, that's, that's hard to calculate. But he did it. They didn't want them. They were so far gone... 
so sexually immoral, so full of evil, they'd rather had those angels. And the angels just said, bam, struck them blind. But that's, that's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed because of their sexual immorality. That's why they, got, they had gone so far with that. And he says, and that's, we got cities like that in this country, right? We've got cities that are that way. It wouldn't surprise me a bit to see some of these cities be judged by the Lord. And he says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, similar manner, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And they got into all the, the horrible... We can't even talk about everything they got into. And that goes on in this country. That stuff goes on in this country. Likewise, also these dreamers defile... Their, the, the word dreamer there, that's an interesting word. It's a sensual word. It, it's uh, people who get involved in filth and flesh. Uh, sensuous dreamers is, is, is the best way to say that. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. <laughs> and then he says, "Yet my, this is the word that I want to take you back to contend. Yet Michael the archangel in contending, same word, with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing uh, against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that's something we need to get in our hearts. Your authority comes from God. It don't come from your years of service. It don't come from how smart you are or I am. It comes from the Lord. So even an archangel, you got the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, then you have at least three archangels we know about, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, who lost his position because he rebelled. you got these archangels. This archangel is dealing with a fallen archangel, right? Over the body of Moses, the dead body of Moses. We'll get into that. Here soon when we start Revelation this Wednesday night. We'll be getting, starting the book of Revelation on Wednesday. We'll talk about why they disputed him over his body. But even here, he contended for the body, right? So he kept it, preserved it because it was part of God's plan. But he did not overstep his authority. He used God's authority, right? You and I would overcome Satan a lot easier if we would use God's authority. Don't argue with him, fuss with him, feel sorry for yourself, cry and whine. Crying and whining don't help you with the devil. You got to take the authority that God has given you. Greater is he that's inside of you than he that's in the world. Amen. And so the Holy Spirit, who wants you and I to surrender to him, also has all the power. The devil can't overthrow the Holy Spirit, he's in subjection to the Holy Spirit. So we have that. And so Michael uses that, right? He says, The Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of whatever. They do not know. Now, there's another thing I caution Christians about. Don't speak against things you don't know nothing about. Wait till you get some understanding. If you hear something that catches you crossways, go back to the book, the Bible, and if you find something in there that clears it up and says that's wrong, so be it. Then stand there. But if you don't have any idea and you can't stay, just don't deal, don't say anything against it until the Holy Spirit gives you some understanding. These guys speak evil against things they do not know. Whatever they know naturally, they, as brute beasts, see how they are? They've gotten so given to the flesh. And these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone after the way of Cain. What did Cain do? Cain did his own thing. He, God had given them clear instructions of how to come with their offering. He decided to do it his way, right? And have run greedily in the air of Balaam. Balaam wanted the money. So he went after the money and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Korah didn't like Moses and the leadership that God set up. So Korah come against him. You can't do that. You can't come against God's leadership. What, whoever God sets up, we have to honor that, have authority. And then he, look at verse 12. These are spots, these same guys that come in sideways. And look, listen how cautionary. We're talking about the end of time. We're in the end of time. We know that. So listen to the caution word. These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, right? So these guys are full of hooks, right? It's all about them, right? Stick man, he's back in church. <coughs> and this is eros, right? Love with a motive. Agape love 
If this stick man loves with agape, he loves with no motive. He loves the other person or God for their sake, right? Stick man's got this stick man with eros. This is agape, right? And he loves with no motive. That's how God wants us to get, right? This stick man loves with a motive. He's got a hook. That's the kind of people he's talking about here. They're coming in. Their spots in the love feast, they feast without fear, serving only themselves. Now let's talk about fear. The word, fear is more than not sticking chewing gum under the pew in church. That's how most people describe it, right? Phobos. That's where we get the word phobia. That's right. That's what this word is. It's where we get the word phobia. So fear is a real thing. Fear is more than respect. Fear has parameters with it. So when I feared my father growing up, I didn't fear approaching him or having a relationship with him, but I feared his hand if I got out of line. And I got his hand a few times by getting out of line. Here's the word, phobos is the Greek word, and here it's got the alpha in front of it. Alpha phobos means no fear, aphobos. So if you have phobos, you have fear. If you have aphobos, you have no fear. And that's the word that's used there. They took the root or the word phobos, put alpha in front of it, and now it made it no fear. Now let's think about fear. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3 before we finish. In Proverbs chapter 3, look what God says to us here about fear. In Proverbs 3 verse 7. Proverbs 3 verse 7. He says, Do not be wise <coughs> excuse me, in your own eyes. I'll give you a second. Take a drink of water. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Alright? If you're not departing from evil, or if I'm not departing from evil, fear's not working correctly. I don't care if you stuck chewing gum under the seat or not. That's what the fear of the Lord does. It causes us to depart from evil. If you're constantly abiding in something that's against God, fear's not working correctly in you. I don't care if you came in and and sit like a knot on the log and, and didn't do anything. Fear has a work to do. Look at verse nine or chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, the same book in Proverbs. 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And look at the reward for this. It says, for by, for by me your days will be multiplied, and the years of, your life, years of life will be added unto you. What good instruction, right? What good instruction. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Let's look at what it, the Greek word over here in Acts chapter 10. Verse, I'm almost done. Verse 34. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. I want you to understand the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. That's good. But you just can't run that like it's a free-for-all. Look at the next line. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Right? I've seen a sign somewhere that says God's for you. No, not if you're not following Him, He's not. He's against you. There's plenty of scripture in there that says the way you want God for you is to accept His Son and get on His side. If you're, not, if you're not following God, if you're not on His side, He's against you because everything you're doing is working in the wrong direction. But look at verse... Um, let's go to Luke chapter 12. Back to Luke chapter 12. Show you another place about fear. This is Jesus talking here. This is in red. It's another very, this is a very cautionary statement. I might say in Luke chapter 12 verse 4. Listen to what he says. He calls them friends in this, little con, in this little spiel. He says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and afterward that have no more they can do. 
but I will show you whom you should fear. There's that word phobo again, or phobos. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Most churches would never want to hear that verse in our culture today. Two things we read this morning that we need to remind ourselves. Jesus was very adamant about it. He said, the way to destruction is broad and, and the way to life is narrow. Many are going to destruction, few are going to hell. Here he says, don't be afraid of the one that can just kill the body, but have the fear of the one who, after the body is dead, has the ability to decide your eternal destiny. Amen. That's the one you should fear. So it's more than just don't stick chewing gum under the seat. It's a fear that causes produces produces productivity in our life, positive things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord causes us to turn from evil. If you're not turning from evil, or if I'm not turning from evil, the fear of the Lord's not working in our lives. And let's look at Romans, then I'll, I'll leave you here. This is Paul. Paul's probably the most uh, in-your-face guy after Jesus. And chapter 11 is a uh, pretty powerful stuff for us Gentiles. Verse 13, Romans 11 and 13. He says, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are in my flesh and save some of them. He says, my job is to go to the Gentiles, but I'd still like to see some of my Jewish brothers saved. For if they're, if, if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will happen, what, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And that's prophesied by the bones of Ezekiel and all that. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, talking to us Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with some become partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Don't forget how you're in this thing, right? Through Christ. You will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, talking to us Gentiles, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but what? Fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. God don't like pride. Read about the problem with pride in Proverbs, right? He said, don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail. Severity toward you, goodness, uh, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of an olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature and cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in their own olive tree? So in other words, there's a continuing process that goes along with being a Christian. And, he try, and so God is telling us, do not give up. Do not back away. Do not put both hands on the plow and look back as Jesus said. Paul's writing this long after Jesus is already gone. And he's trying to help us Gentiles understand that we have some responsibility here. And that we're in this thing because of grace and we better not get haughty about it. Because that's what happened to Israel, right? They got haughty and God cut them out. And so he's, but if you remember the whole study of Hosea, God kept saying, I'm judging you, but if you'll repent, I'll, I'll, come on, let's get this, get this judgment out. We'll stop it. Just come on, come on. Isaiah, all, God is pro-repentance. And that's the greatest thing you and I have available to us. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. God is pro-repentance. And if, you, if the fear of God is really working in our lives, it causes us to get away from the things that are not pleasing to God. That's what the fear of God does. And so God, we've always taught our children from the time they were old enough to understand we were their authority, yeah, but we always taught them you have a greater authority to answer to than us. You have to answer to God. We always taught them that so that they would understand that there's somebody in their life that they have to answer to greater than their parents. 
We should all do that because that is the final authority. We're all going to be judged by this right here. There's going to be no secrets. Ain't going to be no pop quizzes. It's all right here. It'll be a pop quiz to you if you neglect it. But it ain't, there's not going to be any pop quizzes. God's given us everything we need to know. And so we need to fear the Lord. And, and we need to fear the Lord now more than we ever have. We need Him working on our behalf. We need to be in, in a position to where we understand what He's trying to get accomplished. And He needs some folks that care more about His stuff than they do their own. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be me? Are we going to be the people that care more about God's stuff than we do our own stuff? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we come to your presence right now and we thank you for our veterans that we recognize today and so many more of them that aren't in this body but some that couldn't be here today. We just thank you, Lord. Those that are listening, we thank you guys. We thank you, Lord, for having people willing to sacrifice for their brother. No greater love with any man than to lay down his life for his friend. But more than that, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. You laid your life down for all of us. And Lord, we want to get this fear right. We know we're not supposed to be afraid of you, and we're not. But we want, to, we want that healthy fear that causes us to turn away from things that are evil, that causes wisdom to be a part of our lives, that causes us to contend for the faith. We want that kind of fear, Lord. Fear that causes us to care more about your stuff than our own. Help us not to get caught up in the cares of this life. But help us to stay focused on you. We're living in the last days, Lord. We see how cautionary you are in passage after passage. And Peter and Paul were in many ways the same. Jude, John trying to keep us focused on the things that are most important. Let that be my lot. Let that be this ministry's lot. Basilea, living water, the well, and everywhere you have called us, may that be our lot. We celebrate you today. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you're watching and you've never <coughs> given your heart to Jesus, today's your day. Right where you're at, just ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart, to give you a new start. Wherever you're at watching us, or maybe you get this podcast this week. You're in this building this morning. Maybe you're never really surrendered your life to Christ. Today's your day. You're not out of place to slip out of your seat and come up here and pray. We all did that at some point in our life. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've been away from God and it's your day to turn out of the pig pen and come home. Maybe you're here and you're sick and afflicted. Whatever you need, you have a Jesus that's able to do far above what you can think or ask. This altar's open as we worship Him. Come.